Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, so you can grab a Bible, please, and turn to Zephaniah. Zephaniah, we are continuing through that book, page 788, I believe, if you're using one of the Bibles under a chair. Zephaniah. So if you remember in Zephaniah, it begins with God's judgment for God's people. That's the beginning. Then in the middle, we hear of God's coming judgment to the nations around God's people. And then the end of Zephaniah is God's coming salvation. Okay, so this is the Old Testament prophecy that Zephaniah is given. And last week in chapter 1, we heard of the terrible judgment of God that was coming. Right? The judgment of God that was to come. And this judgment, if you remember, was for God's people. Right? For the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, it was for God's people. And God multiple times said, I will. Right? God will work. He will act. He will bring about this judgment. This is what is going to happen. So today we're going to come, we're going to be at the beginning of chapter 2. And the first three verses here um, are kind of unique. So this, these verses here that we're looking at today, the first three verses of chapter 2, come between the judgment on Judah, the judgment for God's people, and the judgment that's coming for the nation's around Judah. Okay, so smushed in the middle are these three verses, and they're kind of unique here in the uh, the uh, prophecy of Zephaniah. A lot of Zephaniah is about the coming judgment, the coming judgment, the coming judgment, and God will save, right? But smushed in here in the middle are these three unique verses. They're kind of instructional. They're for God's people, and they have great meaning for God's people. And so we're going to look at these. These three verses are an answer to the question of what do we do with this pronouncement of judgment for God's people? How are we to respond? And of course, again, the context is Zephaniah's day, and so we'll look at the different applications as we've talked about over the last few weeks. Old Testament prophecy has immediate context and application, and it has other applications for us throughout the course of history. And so we'll look at some of those, right? So there's the immediate context and then the coming context. So let's pray and then we'll read through these verses. Father God, as we open your word now and look into it, please give us insight and understanding. And by your spirit, would you bring great application into our lives in a real practical way that we might live differently as a result of the time in your word. So may it be to your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's what we read. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the degree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. 
Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And so the first thing we do see here is the anger of the Lord, the anger of God. The anger of God. So anger, if you look it up in the dictionary, the definition is a strong feeling of displeasure. Strong feeling of displeasure. So here's the question. Does God get angry? Yes, he does. He has strong feelings of displeasure, right? We see this in verse 2, right? We see the burning anger of the Lord. Again in verse 2, the day of the anger of the Lord. In verse 3, on the day of the anger of the Lord. So there is no denying God's anger. He does get angry. So let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten angry at someone? Are there times when it is right to be angry? Yes. Yes. There is a righteous or a right anger because of sin. And so God's anger is because of sin. Right? Now, of course, for us, we have to be really careful with that. Right? Because there's a need for our emotions to be in check, our emotions to be in control in us and our lives. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. So there is an anger that is right and not sinful, and yet, what do we do with that? Where do we let it take us? So we have to be careful there. God handles this anger right every time. Right? He does not sin in his anger. So here the, the Lord is angry at his people because of their sin. Right? His anger is burning against the nation of Judah. His people, those who are supposed to be following him, who are off doing their own thing, sinning against him. Right? We see here in verse 1 that they are called a shameless nation. Right? It speaks to their ongoing idolatrous sin. They have no thought for the weight of sin or its impact. They give themselves over to sin, have no regard for God and his glory. Right? And so this leads to anger within God, a right anger. So that's the context of Zephaniah. Let's think about us. Let's think about you. Could God have anger against you? Oh, yeah. Do you have the ability to sin against him? Yeah. And there can be anger even against us, right? We also see here in this shameless nation, we see this picture that Judah had a uh, desensitization towards sin, right? An uncaring attitude towards it. And so the question, is that true of you as well? Right? Do you, are you desensitized mainly to your own sin? You can see the sin clearly in others, right? I'm talking about your own sin within you. Right? I'm not that bad. My sin is only affecting me. Right? It's not that big of a deal. 
right? Oh, what shameful thinking that is. It stirs up the, the anger of God. And so then the anger of God leads to the judgment of God. The judgment of God. Why judgment? Why can't we just have a God of mercy and love? Why a God who carries out judgment and wrath? Well, there's a reason for it. The reason is sin, right? God's judgment is due to sin. Sin has consequence. Part of the consequence of sin is that it needs to be rightly judged and rightly punished. God is holy because of his absolute holiness. Sin has to be judged. It has to have consequence. Right? Ever since Adam in the garden ate of the fruit in disobedience to God's command, sin has to be judged. Of course, there are various judgments for sin. We see a number of them throughout the Bible. In creation, when Adam sinned, there was consequence to the earth, right? Thorns and thistles. Work becomes harder. There's pain and childbearing. Consequence to sin. Here in Zephaniah, Judah is in sin, and there's going to be consequence. There's going to be judgment. They are going to be completely destroyed. Taken, those who remain will be taken into captivity. There's great consequence for sin. And ultimately for us, the ultimate consequence for sin is separation from God, from his blessing, from his presence in a place called hell. Sin has to be judged. It's right of God to bring judgment for sin. And so the judgment of God falls upon believers, excuse me, upon sinners. Right? The judgment of God falls upon sinners. Is that you? Right? We need to be thoughtful of that. So, again, we see that it falls not just on those outside of the church, outside of God's people. Right? Chapter 1, this horrible judgment is for Judah. It's for God's people. So we see here as well, we see this phrase, ah, that day, right? Through chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2 here, ah, that day. So there's talking about a day. What does that mean? What's well, a day? It's a time of God's judgment that is coming, right? There's a time of God's judgment when his anger comes forth, when his wrath is poured out. So again, different applications, right? In Zephaniah's day, the judgment was coming upon Judah, The day was going to be their destruction, their captivity, right? There was a day of judgment when Jesus Christ suffered and died upon the cross. That was a day of judgment, a place. The cross was a place of great judgment. God's wrath poured out on Christ. His righteous anger towards sin fell on Jesus. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for your sin and for mine. And there is yet another day of the Lord that is coming when final judgment for all evil will occur finally and completely. When is that? I don't know, but it's coming. God's word says it, right? So now let's make this personal. Okay, we see in chapter 1 here in Zephaniah's day and 
day of Josiah, that there was idolatry, right? Going off, uh, creating uh, false gods, worshiping false gods, false religious practices, Okay, for you personally, most of you, that's not going to be where you are, right? You're not going to be in verse 4 where there is outright idolatry, outright false religion taking place. That's probably not most of you, but you may be found in verse 6 of chapter 1. Look at verse 6. There are those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So is this you? Do you fit here in this description? Have you turned back from following the Lord? Do you not pay much attention to him, give him much thought? Let me ask you a different way. How strong is your zeal, your passion for the Lord? How often, how thoroughly do you read the Bible? How many minutes do you spend in prayer each day? How often are the praises of God on your lips, the joy of the Lord? It's likely you fall here. Look at verse 12. It's likely you fall in this place of being complacent, right? The Lord will not do good. He will not do evil. I'm just kind of, eh, don't have much thoughtfulness. Complacent. What does God say here in verse 12 about the complacent? What will he do? He says that he will punish the complacent. There's judgment even for those who are complacent, who don't really give the Lord much thought. Right? So again, in the context here, Zephaniah is speaking directly to the people of God, Judah. Well, that's for them. That's not for us, right? Well, Why wouldn't God be the same in our day? Why would you presume that he won't bring judgment here to our country, to our city, to us, God's people here at Pine Grove, if necessary? So we have this issue of complacency. Do you see yourself here? Are you lukewarm in your relationship to God? Are you living in such a way that God is about ready to spit you out because of your lukewarmness? Do you show up for church but have no real love for God? Is there not much thought of God and his glory throughout the week? Is there no difference between the priorities in your life and those of lost sinners around you? Are you complacent? And then, have you considered God's judgment for your complacency? So God is judge. Let's pause here because I want to consider another question. Why does God pronounce his judgment? Right? Why does God pronounce it? He makes it known. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just bring it about? Right? Without announcing it first. See, just a mean God trying to rub it in our faces, trying to rub it in the face of his people. Well, God doesn't give word of his judgment to cripple his people in despair, that they might just roll up in a ball and take it. That's not the point. 
God gives word of his coming judgment to bring his people to repentance, to bring people to change. He calls them to holiness and purity before him, to walk in obedience to his commands. That is his purpose. We must see that. As we see the pronouncement of judgment to come, we have to see it as God's loving kindness calling us, his people, to repent of our sin, to turn to him. It's a kindness of God to pronounce his judgment. Take a look at verse 2 here of chapter 2. We see here there is a decree of judgment There is God's anger. It is coming. And so the question then again is, what do we do with that? God is ready to bring judgment. What do you do? Well, God tells us what to do through his prophecy. He calls us to something that we'll see. So we see here the call of God, right? The call of God. Now, again, in the context here, the call was for Judah, the nation of God's people, to gather There was great sin among God's people, and God called them together for a purpose, and the purpose was to call them to repentance, right? A call to repentance. And so we see this throughout Scripture, right? Throughout the entire Bible, when God gives word of coming judgment, he also calls for repentance. He calls for people to turn to him, that they might seek him, that they might know him. This is what we see here in verse 3, right? Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. So the nation of Judah had not been doing this, right? We see this in verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 12. They had not been seeking the Lord. They had turned away from him. And God, through Zephaniah, is calling them to repentance. He's calling them to change. Judgment is coming, so come, seek me. Repent of your ways. Seek the Lord and follow him. So we talked about what repentance is with the kids, right? It's a complete turning around, complete change of mind and action. Stop your sin and start living in purity and holiness, right? And it happens in small ways as well as big. The small things of life. Stop being selfish and start thinking of, others. So much of this call to repentance, much repentance takes place for us in small, everyday kind of ways. We also see in this call of repentance an urgency. So in verse 2, we see this word before four times, I believe it is, in verse 2, right? Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes, before there comes upon you, before there comes upon you. In other words, time is running out. The judgment is coming, right? There's an urgency. The opportunity, the uh, possibility for repentance is fleeting. Judgment is coming. That was true here in the nation of Judah. Is that true for us today? Yeah. You don't have forever. The judgment of God is coming. There's an urgency to it. And so this repentance, this call of repentance is a call, first and foremost, for God's people to stop sinning and to turn to him. Right? 
It's even a call of repentance for those who are just eh, complacent. Right? Turn with me. Keep, we'll come back to Zephaniah. Keep your place there and turn to Revelation, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at uh, what's happening here in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> so starting in verse 14 here, we hear the words of Christ being written down, being given to the church at Laodicea. He's writing to them there. And here's what he says in verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, complacent, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jump down to verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. There's a need for repentance, even of the complacency, even of the lukewarm nature. Right? We often think of repentance on a, a big grand scale, right? There's a terrible, awful sinner who needs a complete overhaul of their life. That's true. That person needs repentance. But repentance continues in many, many ways throughout the Christian life. Right? The Christian life is a life of faith and repentance. Continual faith, continual repentance. And so the message of the urgency here in Zephaniah is do not delay your repentance. Don't delay it. Don't put it off. That's what we're tempted to do, right? I'll repent tomorrow, right? I'll address my problem of selfishness when I'm a little older. I'll deal with my sexual immorality some other day, not today. Do you have no fear of God? Do you not realize that there are even current consequences for your sin? Your sin has a present effect on you and on others around you. And if there is no repentance, the consequences to come will be unbearable. They were for the nation of Judah. Unbearable consequences. Destruction. Right? Everything destroyed. Those who remain and keep their lives are taken away into captivity. Right? How about for you? If you continue in unrepentance for these areas of sin. I don't know exactly what that consequence will be. Maybe time spent in jail. Maybe an illness coming to you. But most often, the consequences come through broken relationships. Marriages that are destroyed or filled with turmoil. Parent-child relationships where there's just a lot of tension. Friendships breaking up. People fighting and not getting along in the church. Maybe leaving the church. How damaging and how painful that can be. So if you know God, if you fear him and his judgment, then repent of your sin without delay. Do it now. Deal with it. Don't let it linger. 
make repentance an ongoing part of your life. So that how do you know if you're living in repentance? How do we know? Well, you know you're living in repentance if there is lasting change. Lasting change over time. If you are growing in spiritual fruitfulness in your life over the course of time. Right? So how do you know? Well, repentance must be carried out in works. Repentance begins in the mind, the change of mind, and then it is carried out in works, in action, in behaviors, in attitudes. Right? But it starts with a determination of the mind. Carried out in works. That's how it shows forth. Your work doesn't save you, right? But it does reveal and confirm your salvation. If there's ongoing growth in your life. So if you have little to no spiritual fruit in your life, that should be very concerning for you. That should be very concerning for you and your eternal well-being, your eternal soul. Many of you are living just like the world, other than maybe showing up at church on Sunday mornings. That's not living a life of repentance. That's living a life of complacency before God. You won't convince anyone that you hate your sin unless you're doing something about it. Right? Unless there's action being taken. Unless there's some degree of change happening. Unless progress is being made. Right? So carried out works. What is that work? Well, it's mainly verse 3. Seek the Lord. Pursue God in humility. Look to Christ. Look to God's word. Walk in obedience to it as much as you are able. Pray and ask God through his Holy Spirit to change you, to change your mind, to change your attitudes, to change your behaviors. It's seeking God to know him, pursuing after him. The work of God then is that the Holy Spirit brings about the change in you as you humbly seek the Lord. There's a problem here, though. We see this often. Problem is that many people try to seek God in their pride rather than in humility. Are you able to seek God in your pride? Yeah? You make God's word to say what you want it to say so that you really don't have to deal with your sin. That's pride. You justify what you're doing as righteous and wise instead of seeking true righteousness and humility through God's word. So true repentance is giving yourself and all of your desires over to God again and again and again and again. It's loving the Lord your God before all else. It's desiring what he wants as revealed in his word more than what you want. Repentance takes great humility. You cannot have repentance and pride. It doesn't work. Repentance takes great humility. So then let's consider the degree to which repentance must take place. The degree to which it must take place. Okay, so think back again with the kids up front. Right? Was repentance 
the move in a sinful direction? Was that repentance? No. Was repentance stopping and sitting down? Was that repentance? No. Right? Was repentance a, a partial turning away from sin? No, that's not repentance. Repentance is a complete change of direction. Right? So here it is. Half-hearted repentance is not repentance. Right? Half-hearted repentance is not repentance. But we play games, don't we? We play around with it. We say things like, well, I'll try to stop doing that. Right? Or I'm fine being in the midst of temptation. I'll just be really careful with it. Really? How well does that work for you? Right? You might even be well-intended. But you're just going to give into the flesh again. That's how this works. Unfortunately. You're not strong enough to play around with temptation and continue to avoid sin over time. It won't work. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can do that. Parents. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking that your kids can do that. It's not going to work. Why? Because deep inside, deep within you, we see this in James 4, deep within you want to give in to the sin. You want to give yourself to it. That's what's within you. This is the sin that's deep within us that we need to continually fight and deal with. You want to give in to sin. Why? Because it's pleasurable. It feels good to yell at somebody and tell them off rather than humbly go to them and see what our wrong was in the situation. We want to give in. That's what's within us. And when we do, in our mind, what do we oftentimes do? We pass blame. We don't want to take responsibility for it. Adam in the garden did this, right? Ate of the fruit. God said, hey, where are you? Oh, it was the woman. She, she, it was her fault. Pass Blame. No, Adam, you wanted to do it. You chose to eat of that fruit. You hung around the tree overhearing the conversation of the serpent with your wife. Stop with the excuses. Right? We have to stop the excuses. Half-hearted repentance is not repentance. So what do we need then? Well, repentance is radical. Repentance is radical. Okay, turn to New Testament. Turn to the book of Colossians. Again, keep your place in Zephaniah. <clears throat> turn to Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's what Paul writes. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on with the list. Put to death. Repentance is radical. Take a violent approach to your sin. Put it to death. Kill it. Do away with it. Put an end to it, no matter what it takes. Completely put it off. Right? Repentance is radical. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. Here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 29. Here's what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, 
tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now tell me if you've truly repented. Repentance is radical. We're not playing around with it. So if your coworkers draw you into sin, get a new job. Well, I can't. I have to pay you the bills. Repentance is radical. If you're looking at, your th- at things on your smartphone that you shouldn't be looking at, get a dumb flip phone. Well, I need to check the news and the weather and... No. No, no. Repentance is radical. Right? If you and your spouse can't get along, you're mad at each other all the time. Be with an elder. Get some counsel. Well, that takes time of our busy schedule. Repentance is radical. Repent of your drinking too much alcohol. Repent of your engagement in sexual immorality. Repent of your selfishness in your marriage. Repent of the time you waste on meaningless activities like TV and video games and scrolling on your phone. Repent of the manner in which you speak about your boss. Repent of the way you view and treat your siblings in your home. Repent of the drama that you bring into relationships. But in our complacency, we oftentimes don't give much thought to these things, do we? But these things all matter. They are not nothing. They are not neutral. They are sin against our holy God. And they put a wedge. They put a division between you and God. They put a divider in your relationship with him. So repent. Deny yourself anything and everything that would take you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead, seek after him. Pursue him. Know him. Follow his ways. That's repentance. Give yourself to God. By the way, you'll need help with this. Most oftentimes, this isn't going to be something you can do on your own. So get help. Pastors and elders are available to you. There are other well-grounded saints who can be of help. But choose those who love you enough to tell you the truth to tell you the things which in your sinfulness you would rather not hear. Because you know the people you can go to and they'll tell you what you want to hear so that you actually don't have to repent and deal with your sin. You know who those people are. And you know the people who are going to love you enough and care for you enough to tell you the truth and to tell you what you need to stop doing and what you need to start doing. Those are the people you want to go to. Those are the people who are going to be a real help. Don't find somebody who tells you what you want to hear. Find somebody who will tell you what you need to hear for your growth in Christ and your sanctification. Lastly, we see the salvation of God. Salvation of God. So verse 3 says that you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. That's salvation. Being hidden 
from the terrible judgment of God, being protected from it. Right? For the people of Judah, their salvation, their being hidden, was that their life would be preserved in the coming destruction. That's how they would be hidden from the judgment to come. Right? But it's interesting, because here in verse 3, there's a fearful word. Right? Take a ver- look at verse 3. See if you can find the word that is fearful. What is that word? Perhaps. Perhaps you may be hidden. Why is that word perhaps a fearful word? Because this salvation depends on something. It depends on your faith. It depends on your repentance. It doesn't depend on how great and perfect your faith is. But it depends on where your faith is placed. Salvation comes through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. In looking to him as your only hope. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who took judgment for sin. He is the one who died and was raised to life again. And Ultimate salvation for us now, ultimate salvation, eternal salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ alone. There is no other. It's only through your faith in Jesus Christ, which is demonstrated through your ongoing repentance, your ongoing seeking after him, your ongoing pursuit of walking and living in uh, righteousness and holiness before God, entrusting yourself wholly unto him. That's salvation. So perhaps, if you come to him in repentance, if you seek after him, you will be hidden in the day of judgment, even the final judgment to come. So where are you? Look again at the contrast. Chapter 1, verse 6. There are some who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. That's contrasted with chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. There is a difference between those who seek the Lord and those who do not. Between those who look to Christ in faith and those who do not. Between those entrusting themselves to him alone and those who hold on to themselves and their own good work. Which are you? Really, truly, which are you? Don't be deceived into thinking that you are something that you're not. In Christ Jesus, through faith in him, you are hidden, protected from the final and ultimate judgment of God for sin. Because Jesus stood in your place. He took that judgment upon himself on the cross in his suffering and death so that you wouldn't have to. So look to him. So where are you at this morning? What is your spiritual temperature? Are you lukewarm? Are you complacent? And if that's where you find yourself, what are you going to do about it? I would encourage you to develop a plan, an actual plan of radical repentance. And then do the faithful work of carrying it out. I'm going to end with one little thing. Flip a few uh, books back to Hosea. The end of Hosea chapter 14. 
just a few books back in your, in your Bible. This is uh, at the end of Hosea's prophecy. Here's what, how, how it ends in verse 9. This could be applicable to us here in Zephaniah's prophecy, as well as every time you hear the preaching of God's word. Okay? So this is applicable. applicable. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Here it is. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. So will you be wise and gain understanding? Will you be discerning and know the things of God? Will you walk in the ways of the Lord? Will you take the preaching of his word every week and give it application, real practical application into your lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we confess our sin before you. We know that there is nothing good in us that is in our flesh. We know that our only hope is in Christ Jesus. And so, God, give us a spirit of repentance. Help us to look at the sins in our lives, even the little sin, and to repent without delay. Give us a heart to seek after you, to know you, to desire to live our lives rightly before you. Build this within us, a passion within us for your righteousness and your holiness, that we will be driven to turn from our sin completely around and walk in purity and holiness. God, we can't do this in our own strength. Give us your strength, honor. Give us your righteousness. Give us your purity and your holiness that we might honor you in the way we live, in the things we believe, in the thoughts of our mind. God, work repentance in us. We plead with you. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the charge is this. Don't leave here unaffected. So first, identify the specific areas in which you need repentance, and then take the needed steps of radical repentance. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in the sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.